0: Carl? What? You heard what I told Deanna about your group. What do you want? It was about me, not you or your group. I know that now. I wanna help. You tried to teach me back at my church, but I'm ready to learn now.
1: I think you need to tell everybody.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. You Come by around three. We'll start with a machete.
2: Hello and welcome back to the Pop Optic Walking Dead podcast. This week on the podcast, we'll be talking about season six, episode two, JSS. Written by Seth Hoffman and directed by Jennifer Lynch. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Pop-Optic Walking Dead podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, TV editor of PopOptic.com, and I'm joined as ever by my wonderful co-host, Mr. Ricky D. How's it going, Ricky? Hey, Kate.
1: I'm okay.
2: And this week joining us is returning guest, friend of the show, uh, from from Process Media, from uh, Pop Optic, from many places, Mr. Randy Dankovich. Randy, how's it going?
0: Hey, guys. How's it going?
2: Now, at the top of the podcast, I forgot to mention this last week, so I want to make sure I mention it this week. Um, there will be no spoilers uh, on this episode for anything outside of this episode of The Walking Dead. So there will be no comic spoilers. There will be no spoilers for things yet to come on The Walking Dead TV show. We don't even talk about the next week on trailers, because I know some of y'all consider that spoilers. Um, But this is a spoiler-free zone. I have not read the comics. Uh, Ricky has read many, but not all of the comics. Randy, what's your relationship with the comics?
0: I've read about 100 issues.
2: Before we get into our Walking Dead podcast, we we have so much to talk about with this episode and... uh, Very excited to talk about this episode. But, Ricky, we're doing something over at Pop Optic that we wanted to mention here because it could affect our listenership.
1: Yeah, it's sort of kind of important. So for those of you who don't know, who might be new-time listeners, I'll make this very quick. But we basically launched a site eight years ago. Um, The site was created by a couple of guys who just so happened to work at the exact same video store, the exact same radio station, and went to the exact same university at the exact same time. So we created this website independently without any financial backing, and it's been really, really tough to keep the website going because as our website grows, our hosting service becomes more expensive. And so recently we had to move over to a dedicated server, as well as we completely relaunched our site, changed our name, our site design, et cetera, et cetera, because we had to. And so for the first time in eight years, we find ourselves in a situation in which we have no choice but to start a fundraiser. So we started a fundraiser over at Indiegogo. You can find all the information on our website. It's at the top of the homepage. It's at the bottom of every page. It's on the sidebar. And basically, we are trying to raise $5,000, and the $5,000 will pay off what we already owe. And the remaining $4,000 will basically pay for the actual website, which includes the podcast, for the next two years, guaranteed. So in a, by reaching our goal, we are guaranteed that we do not have to worry about our site closing down because there's an, an enormous amount of stress on the editors, especially, each and every single month when we don't make enough money to pay for the site. And then someone like me has to reach into his own pocket to pay the remaining balance. And the problem is I just can't do it anymore. So I think after eight years, we sort of earned the right to ask our readers and our listeners if they can donate it would be amazing. So if you do like the Walking Dead podcast or Kate's Televerse podcast or My Sort of Cinema podcast and or you just like the site, you know, reading articles, reviews, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, please consider donating because again, we are asking not because we want to cuz trust me, we don't want to. We are asking because we really do not have a choice. Like it's 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 crunch time. Like we need to make sure that we have enough money to keep the site going without having to stress out each and every single month when we have to pay a bill. So that's about it, but there are some perks.
2: Well, and that's why we're specifically mentioning it this week because one of the things, one of the perks, uh, that you can, uh, elect to, to, I guess, sponsor or purchase is you could come co-host the walking dead podcast with Ricky and myself.
1: That is right. Um, so yeah, if you head over to our Indiegogo page and you want to come on our show and talk about the walking dead, send a donation our way. And, Honestly, it's really not a lot of money if you think about it. Like, if you pay $20, and even if you just listen to our Walking Dead podcast, that is just over a dollar per episode, considering that there's about 15 to 18 episodes in every season of The Walking Dead.
2: Yeah, it, it, there there's 16 episodes each season of The Walking Dead. But again, it's not so much about that. It's about trying to keep ensure the longevity of of the site and to keep the podcast going because these, there are fees. I always think it's hilarious when people um, think the glamorous world of podcasting, how they must make money as our listeners know, we don't have sponsorships. We don't have, um, I feel like this is our pledge drive. This is our supported by viewers and listeners like you.
1: Well, there's lots of podcasts where each and every single week, they do have some sort of sponsor and every say 20 minutes, they plug the sponsor Uh, But the problem is, in all honesty, most of those sponsors don't really give you much money at the end of the day. And you have to spend so much time on your podcast talking about a sponsor. So I already feel bad that we're taking up five minutes talking about this fundraiser because I just want to talk about The Walking Dead. So we want to try to avoid sponsors like we don't charge for our podcast. We don't charge any subscription fees for our website. It is content that we are producing, which is time consuming. It's our free time. We do not get paid. And again. Like, we need this. It's either this and or the site could close down. So I think $5,000 is a reasonable amount of money because I've seen some podcasts ask for $6,000 just to produce 10 episodes, which I think is a little too much. We're asking for $5,000 for the entire website.
2: Well, and like you said, we, we, we're not big on uh, asking our listeners and our, viewers, our readers for, for money. Uh, so that's why we do have perks and and things that you can you're paying for content you're paying for opportunities at the site Uh, so go check them out Um, but let's let's move on let's talk about this episode of the walking dead because there's so much that goes down this week and i want to start out um, i'm gonna throw it to you randy first how did you think that this episode worked as far as um, being set at the same time as the premiere but just not having any sight of what's going on with rick and company were you were you glad to kind of have these two as counterparts
0: Well, it was back to, you know, it felt like The Walking Dead going back to the way it was telling stories at the end of season four and the beginning of season five, which was, I thought, the show's most ambitious period when it separated everybody. And it really gave the show a chance to focus on a few people at a time, which, you know, although the show's never been one for extremely deep character explanation, gives more room to at least. You know, like in this episode, it gives us a chance to catch up with somebody like Morgan who we haven't seen in a while or to introduce new characters like Denise and immediately give us a sense of who they are because the show can take a few minutes and focus on them rather than have to jump back and forth between different locations and different groups of people.
2: Well, and I also want to just jump off of what you're saying right there, because, yes, in the past, this was a show that had, I think, thin characterization where the characters were not the reason we were watching. But was as I was watching this episode. They were like supporting characters. I was like, no, Eric, you're not allowed to die. <laughs> I'm really invested in a lot of these characters at this point. I think they've done a really good, like somebody like Jessie, which her arc for this episode is really effective, I think. And uh, like there's a lot of these characters that aren't part of our, even part of our original gang that I am now. I know their names. I know their stories. I'm invested in the performances and in the the characters. Um, so I think the the complaint uh, that used to be I think fairly leveled, and we certainly on this podcast have leveled against The Walking Dead for for its weak or thin characterization. Um, I think they've kind of I think they've righted the ship. I think that's no longer a valid complaint here. What What do you think, Ricky?
1: I think the writers of The Walking Dead are listening to our podcast because last season I was like, man, I just wish someone would come in and kill all of these extra people whose names we don't know. And <laughs> happens like I mean like honestly. We had people dying left and right in the background, and it was horrifying. Like I was gripping onto my seat. I thought it was terrifying. I thought this episode was by far the closest episode that really was a horror film, as opposed to say like a western and or a drama and/or just a zombie film. Like the tension, the framing, the mood, the atmosphere. Like it like when we first see that guy come out of nowhere and starts hacking. A poor lady, while she's smoking her cigarette, I jumped. Like, I was like, what the hell is going on here? Like, it came out of nowhere. And we knew something bad was going to happen because of last week's episode. But that just came out of nowhere. Like, that was an incredible jump scare. The problem for me, though, is and it's not even, like, a problem with the structure and or the episode. Because I think that this is one of the top five best episodes of The Walking Dead yet. I actually think I like it better than last week's episode. But the problem is, is while I'm watching this episode, I'm like, you know what? We could have just honestly have focused on only Carol, and I would have been okay. Because this episode is all about why Carol is, I think, the best character on the show right now. I mean, she's literally like a one-woman army. She's like Rambo. She's finding these incredible, ingenious ways to disguise herself. She's smart enough to realize that the first thing she needs to do is to make sure that these wolves don't get to the ammunition. You know, no one else thought that, oh, my God, we have to make sure that these people who clearly don't have guns can't get to our supply of guns. That's the first thing that she did. Um, I love the way she just took control. You know, even when Morgan is standing over the guy, and he he refuses to kill him. She doesn't give a shit. She shoots the guy in the head. And so the whole entire time while I'm watching this, this episode, I'm like, I couldn't help but think, apart from Jesse, that I just did not care. Oh, and sorry, Carl. I just didn't care about any of these people. And so I agree with Randy. Like, I'm a big fan of episodes in which they divide the cast because there's too many people to focus on. And usually the episodes tend to be better. In this case, they divide the cast, but all of the characters that we really like, except for maybe two or three aren't in this episode and we're surrounded by all these nobodies, people whose names we don't remember. And even some people like, for example, Maggie and Rosita and so on, they just come and go like at one point towards the end of the episode that they're covered in blood. But we have no idea why, like, even within this episode, it was still hard for them to focus on all the chaos and all of these characters because they were so focused on Carol. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And so I don't know if this is, like, really a criticism because I loved watching Carol so much and it was clearly the highlight of the episode, but we already know Carol's a badass. So why didn't you give us more footage or coverage of some of the secondary characters and what they were doing to try to survive? And that's why my favorite scene in this episode is the scene in which Jesse has to kill the guy. And not only does she kill the guy, but she butchers him and she can't stop stabbing him because that's a character I really like. And no, I don't necessarily want to see her killing someone, especially in front of her son, because that's horrifying. I do want to see something from this character apart from her having a conversation with Rick about her sons. You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah, I hear where you're coming from, but uh, for me, it, yeah, I agree. I, I want to see stuff outside of her interactions with Brick. But I think what we get with her here with her sons, like the conversation she's having with her elder son, where the son is still, you know, has this a very understandable and legitimate uh, uh, anger and maybe rage uh, towards Rick, which was mentioned last week. And of course it comes back up here, even just with it, relationship to, to Carl, uh, his, his interaction with Carl and, and Enid um, that th- those are scenes that I want to see as well. So it's not just her in action her her um, on the defensive, but also that, that relationship that it feels like they're doing a good job or, or I should say they are doing a good job for me of building up Jesse and making her and uh, her family, her, her two sons feel much more lived in, I guess. Uh, Randy, what do you think? Was this, would this have been better off as the Carol Penetier, uh power hour or did we get too much of her?
0: Well, there's two different things I kind of want to talk about here. The, the first thing is Jesse's character. I, I kind of like that they're starting to to fill her out a little bit, but I'm not really on board with her just kind of being like, oh, Rick and Rick's my buddy now. You know, he just murdered my husband. its not, I don't think it's really something you would say to your oldest son in that situation, in that moment. It's a small nitpick, though, but uh, I'd, I'd rather talk about Carol because, obviously, she was the focus point, the focal point of the episode. And I think... I don't think this episode was just about putting Carol front and center just so we could see how badass she is. I mean, of course, we get to do that, and that's fun. But this episode's really... You know, Morgan comes back. Morgan is the only character that comes back from the other story for a specific reason, and because... He's kind of become, you know, every now and then there's a character that comes along that becomes Rick's moral compass. And as Rick has become more and more Carol-like in the way that he embraces the wildness and the primal nature of the world and, you know, has stopped asking questions about things, Morgan comes along and starts raising these questions about humanity again. And this episode in particular was really about, okay, there's Carol's approach to the world when, you know, Things go to shit and there's Morgan's approach to the world. Which one works better for people, especially people that have never had to handle anything like this before? And I think obviously the argument is very heavily in favor of Carol, considering the way that the events play out.
1: I think the argument is in in favor of Carol because Tyrese was the pacifist in previous seasons. And because he was unwilling to do the dirty work, he ended up dying at the end of the day. And, and so... Morgan's
0: the same way. Has he learned since watching his his wife eat his kid? Like, has he learned anything since then that letting other people take responsibility for things is not the way to go? I mean, it even comes back to bite him, not literally, in this episode when these people that he clearly knows show up and murder everybody in the town he just arrived in. Like... On some level, I have to question the one problem for me in this episode was Morgan's logic in working through this. I'm going to try and be as peaceful as I can think, because even in the end, this episode proves that he can't take that approach. Right. I totally agree. I, I did not like Morgan's
1: character arc within this episode because I thought it was just too hard to swallow, too hard to believe. Like, I understand he's, he's trying to be a pacifist and try not to kill people. But when you have like 40 people running around with machetes, chopping the heads off of like innocent women and children. Like, I'm sorry, I don't care if you're Gandhi, you're going to take a gun, point... It's t-
0: not the time to handcuff
1: people with wire. No, it's not. It really isn't. And the fact <laughs> that he actually allows five of them to escape, like, like first... With like, a gun! With a gun, like, even if he didn't want to kill them, he could have at least knocked them out, because clearly the guy's like a Jedi Knight. He's got awesome staff work, so he could have knocked them... Out And then tied them up and held them prisoner and or something, but to release them and let them go. He knows what's going to happen. He He's seen it happen before he knows they're going to come back. And they're gonna have another showdown and someone else is going to die. And most likely it's going to be someone close to him and or him. And I'm sorry, but that that is one of my biggest frustrations in watching this episode. It, and it's not it's not a criticism criticism towards the the makers of the episode, because this is like, again, one of the I think my third, maybe second favorite episode of, of all time so far. It's just so frustrating to watch these characters like, no offense, but Eugene and I don't know who the other dude is standing around because they're trying to save the life of one person because they are too scared to actually go out and fight. And that frustrates me just like, oh, man, if they were on my team, I would just kick them out of Alexandria. (laughs) Like, What are you doing?
2: A quick devil's advocate for Morgan here, if he ties them up or knocks them out and turns them over to the town, they're going to be killed. He can see that based on how things are going. And the, the Rick right now is winning. And after this experience, that town is going to be out for blood. So if he does not want them to be killed because of his, his ethos about all life uh, should be all not, you know, Walker life should be um, protected or held sacrosanct, then he can't turn them over to the town. So his options are let them go or kill them himself or hand them over to the town to be killed.
0: Which begs the question, why handcuff one of them? (laughs) That's an
2: excellent question, and I would agree that there's a lack... Or maybe he saw, maybe that because he tried to to handcuff the first one and hand hand him over, and then was just watched him get executed, that informs his decision to let them go at the end. That makes sense to me.
1: Okay, I'll give you an example of why I think it's so problematic, yet so awesome to have the whole entire episode focus on a character like Caro. Because towards the end of the episode, Aaron shows up, right? And, and then that's when he picks up his, his knapsack and he realizes that that is a knapsack for anyone who doesn't remember that he lost last season on the road. And so clearly the Wolves picked up his, uh, his, his knapsack. They had the photographs of Alexandria, so they knew the weak spots, right? So that's the backstory behind the knapsack. But I didn't even realize, and maybe this is just me, I, I didn't even recognize him. So it was only when he picked up his knapsack, I was like, oh, it's Aaron. And so I'm like, is that just me? Because he has he not appeared on an episode in which he actually had some form of dialogue, like a speaking role in quite some time? Like, why did I not recognize him?
2: I recognized him immediately. Uh, Randy?
0: I I recognized him. But, you know, outside of his episode with um, Daryl there, he really hasn't had much to do.
1: No, not at all, and that's what I'm saying. Like, and he's a great character. And for example, he has a boyfriend, right? Is his boyfriend still alive? I can't remember. Yeah, he I mean, mentions his husband, to him that right? he
0: tells him he's going to go. Um, I think it's his husband, yeah. But he tells him he's going to go. He's like, I got to go help, try and help these people when they're in. Um, I think they're in the doctor's office after they bring the uh, Holly in after she got stabbed. I'm not positive about that, but he definitely mentions he talks to him before he runs off and gets covered in blood in this episode. Yeah. Right. Okay.
2: I wanted to, and that's, and I said Eric earlier, I meant Aaron, I got the names turned around in my head, but that, that was one of those moments when he runs, when he says, I gotta go try to help, and runs out, I was like, no, damn it, you haven't had lines for a while, and you came back, and you had lines, and that means they're gonna kill you, because that was, I'm very invested in, in the, the people on the show at this point, and so when they introduced Merritt Weaver, can we talk about how amazing it is that Merritt Weaver is on the show, and he- fan of of TV uh, or or good acting will probably recognize if not know her name recognize her from uh, her performances on on various shows she got an emmy recently um for nurse jackie where she was one of the main supporting characters um but when she showed up as as denise i was super excited and then instantly concerned that she was too big a name at least to tv geeks like myself and they were going to kill her off right away uh, do you guys, are you, were you guys as excited about Merritt Weaver as I am?
0: Yeah, I only found out she was going to be on the show like a week ago. So I was really excited to see when she was going to show up and how they would introduce her. And I, I, I'm i interested to see where they go with her character. She could turn into a real panicky, annoying type quickly. But I'm going to give this show the benefit of the doubt because she's such a great actress.
1: I, I think she's going to end up being awesome because this is her first episode in which... You know, we get to focus on his character. They give her plenty of lines to deliver. Like, she actually has dialogue and conversations with the other characters. And what does she do in this episode? She overcomes her fears and operates on this person. And although the person doesn't survive, at least she tried. And we get this whole shot of her towards the end. We we see how she's emotionally destroyed over it. And it ends with Tara reminding her, by the way, don't forget to get her brain know, it, it was like such a heartbreaking moment. And even within that moment, it's like, you still can't technically have that moment to grieve, but yeah, she's a fantastic actress. And I think she's going to be around for a while and great addition to the cast. Like, Holy
0: cow. Can I just mention how awkwardly this show introduces or just any show that takes place in like one setting introduces a new person? They'll always be like, oh, hey, this person's been here the whole time. Like uh, Tara comes and calls Paulo. her Dana and she's like, no, I'm not Dana. I'm Denise. And it's like, oh, I guess we just haven't seen her the whole time we've been here. <laughs> Shows are so bad at doing that.
2: Last week, we got to see a, a new team come back, which made complete sense why we didn't know them. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, that yeah. works. That's
0: about the only way that it works is if they, oh, we were on vacation for a while. Not like, oh, I've been here the whole time. I've just been in the shadows.
2: <laughs> but I'll give it to them because I'm so excited she's on the show. And you give you give Merritt Weaver something to do, and she's going to deliver. You give her nothing to do, and she will still deliver. Uh, so, yeah. I hear that shes that's a character from the comics. I don't know. I don't want to know. So if you guys do know, please don't tell me. Um, but that is encouraging. That Maybe that means she'll be around for a while. Maybe she won't. But uh, I'm very excited about uh, having her and just her energy and her presence on the show. And that they're still finding ways, even if they aren't the most believable, to bring fantastic actors onto this show. Um, we talked about Holly's death or her you know the the attempts to save her and and you know how that resolves itself um let's talk about carol uh killing her her i guess friend of me was that, was that her the the bitch at the beginning or was that her ally at the beginning
0: the the bitch at the beginning was the one who was smoking the cigarettes outside cuz remember the carol way, gives her the speech
2: morleys anybody else notice that x-files shout out Why are you calling
0: her a bitch
2: the one who was all like well if you want to take the canned food, but you know, it's not that good. And and it was just negging everything she was doing and the pantry.
1: I wouldn't go so far as calling a oh. bitch.
2: Well, like, she was being she was a also bitch a smoker, in that scene. So
0: she obviously deserved to die anyway.
1: Yeah, clearly, this was the Walking Dead's anti smoking
0: campaign. This show okay. this year, with its anti and, and fear of the Walking Dead, with its paranoia over cigarettes and drugs, is <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> terrific. <laughs> Like the shot of the bloody cigarette pack of menthols, of course, because those are the deadliest ones. Sitting there that Carol picks up is hilarious.
2: <laughs> For me, that was about the fact that they were Morley cigarettes, which is an X-Files shout out. Because that's the see, brand, I the, didn't, the I'm not an x person.
0: I didn't recognize that. Smokes,
2: yeah. 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 Well, what did you, you guys think of, of her, you know, stabbing her?
0: I, I just I, wanted to see her smoke the cigarette. I know. That's all I wanted. I was like, damn it, somebody get her a lighter. I was going to say the exact same thing. If I can make two subtle changes
1: to to this episode, the first change is I would have had her just smoke the rest of the cigarette, have the shot focus on Carol just a bit longer and on her just a bit longer because I think the jump scare would be even more intense. And the second thing I would change is I would end the episode with Carl taking the food out of the out of the oven. I thought that would have been the perfect way to end the episode. I actually thought that that is how they're going to end the episode. He just takes the food out.
0: Yeah, that was a fantastic shot. That was so awesome that moment.
2: Yeah, um, I for me, I, I like that she doesn't smoke the cigarette. Um, to that, to me, speaks to a larger world for Carol and her backstory. Uh, did we know that she was a smoker? Remind me.
1: Carol, um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, because I think, remember it was the episode where her and Daryl end up in some woman's shelter? We yeah. A little, we we get to learn a little bit of backstory on her character. I think she used to be a smoker.
2: So I like the way that the show does have her, especially when she's doing her hilarious, delightful Betty Crocker routine. Um, I, I like that the show does hint at this whole other life for her before, which we, yes, we saw in the first couple seasons somewhat with her uh, abusive husband, but the fact that she does have these positive memories about her life then that she also has. So she has the negative. She has the baggage. We've seen her process and deal with some of that, but we've also seen her in these interactions when she's playing housewife, I mean, I believe her when she says that she did that. She worked some wonders with with uh, leftover casseroles. And um, I and I, I like that she is apparently a very good cook, which I like that the show lets her be both of those. And so when you have her looking at the cigarettes and deciding not to smoke when she's had a really bad day and probably would really like a cigarette, that to me speaks to her continuing to to choose to be this this person, this version of herself that she is because she's Currently, she decided to not smoke, to not that she wanted to put that part of, of, of her life or whatever, that particular choice that she was making at the time behind her and not be that person. And so when she doesn't smoke, that is meaningful to me. And I would also connect that to Morgan. One of the things I think has been fantastic about Lenny James's performance is in this episode, every time he doesn't kill someone, I really believe he wants to from Lenny James's performance, that he has to like physically restrain himself. And stop himself from delivering more blows. Uh, I'm curious what you guys think about th- that parallel, if you see that or if it's just me, and what you think of those two elements.
0: Well, I think another great connection to note is the connection between Carol and Rick, because essentially Carol's adapted all of the pragmatic nature, you know, Rick's pragmatic ways of dealing with things in the modern day, except she's still able to engage with the person she was before this all happened. Like she's able to pick and choose which elements of the past and present she chooses to make part of who she is. She's in like full control over her persona. Whereas someone like Rick is just kind of lost in the sea of like immorality, like unable to tether himself to anything. And like Carol still has an identity that she can, that she clings to and that's important to her. And I think that's like a big distinction from her and just about every other character on the show. I think it's because Carol cares about everyone and clearly everyone
1: cares about Carol but she doesn't have like a son and or a daughter and or a wife and or a husband and or a love interest. She killed her daughters. Right, exactly. She's just Carol. So I think the diff- the main difference between Carol and Morgan and Rick and anyone in the show is I think she's the only person on the show who has truly accepted the world they live in, the role she plays within the world and within this community. And she refuses to let it get the best of her. If she has to kill someone, she has to kill someone. You know, it's like the wolves say at the end of the episode, they say, well, we didn't make this choice. We didn't choose it. And I think Carol sort of has the same philosophy. The only difference is Carol's not going around butchering people like innocent people for no reason. But she also has a community and a home.
2: Yeah, and I think that that snuck up on her. I don't think she realized how much this community and these people meant to her, um, and and that's what I'm getting. I get from the fantastic performance from from um, Melissa McBride as as she's holding the body of this this person in the community. She she adopted the Betty Crocker persona as a way of a form of camouflage, and to, to and actually as a way of distancing herself from these people. But despite that, she. She, I, I think she is surprised to to see how much this death affects her. I don't think she realized how much the community meant to her. I think she would have said that she could just pick up and leave, or she could take some of them out if she needed to, and it wouldn't, it would have been fine. But that gets tested here, and she finds that she's much more connected than she even maybe wanted to be.
1: Yeah, and what I was going to say is, at the very end of the episode, it's not even so much the fact that she decides not to smoke; it's it's the fact that she actually begins to start to cry, and so. You realize that even though she didn't like some of these people in the town, she did start slowly forming a bond. And I wouldn't go so far to say that she actually truly loves these people, but she does care about them. Right. She cares about life in general. But I think the thing about Carol is she is just afraid to be close to anyone. And we've seen it throughout all of last season. When when you have the little boy running around, he wants to be like best friends with Betty Crocker. And he knows that Betty Crocker is also Rambo at times, right? But she doesn't want to be, she doesn't want to get close to the kid because, you know, like we all remember she shot her two adopted daughters in the head. She killed her two kids. Um. So, yeah, there's that. And I think you're right, Kate, like, I think Morgan clearly does want to kill these people. And I think, you know, the expression you see on his face, it's not that he's a cold blooded killer and he wants to kill them. Like, I mean, part of it has to do with rage, you know, but I think it's just because it's the easy thing to do, you know. And I think that's that's sort of the philosophy Rick Grimes has. It's like he doesn't want to take chances. But in all honesty, it's the easiest thing to do. You shoot the guy in the head. You don't have to worry about this person screwing you over in the next two days or two weeks and or a month. It's happened to them so many times. Uh,
2: to go back to Morgan briefly, because um, I should have chimed in earlier, but 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 didn't I, I? I know you guys aren't a big fan of the way that he is presented here, and because because yes, don't kill people, obviously, but. They've broken into your place and are are slaughtering people violently. You should just kill them. I actually like that this episode makes him, at least from the audience perspective, objectively wrong, Uh, because until this point, I think most people would have said that he's right. And it's easy to be in the um, because especially the way that the camera and and the the writing has treated Rick at the end of last season, um, not in the premiere, but at, at various times where he's like over the edge and he's kind of crazy and they make these allusions to the governor and these other characters and morgan comes in and he's the the beacon of light and sanity so i like that they actually turn that on its head a little bit this week and let more give morgan the harder position to defend if it is defensible um,
1: it just doesn't make sense like if you speak to anyone who's ever been to war and or watch a film about war i mean you're in a war like there's no choice it's a war you're going to have to eventually pick up a gun and shoot someone in order to defend not only yourself but everyone around you that is human nature and i find it hard to believe that this guy is such a pacifist so strong-willed that he somehow refuses to kill not like i like even if like at the end we can talk about the end does he actually kill someone at the end does he actually break down and lose it
0: do you think well, of- that was going to be my question. Did you read that last shot? Because I think he obviously kills the guy. Do you read that shot as him embracing the situation or him resigning himself to the world around him? Because I think that distinction is important in, whether, in the consistency of his character in the episode.
1: I, I would like to think that he killed the guy, but I'm willing to bet he didn't because, again, and it's not really a spoiler, but according to the marketing of the show, it seems like they're setting up a Rick Grimes versus Morgan showdown. And so if they are setting up a showdown, Rick Grimes versus Morgan, that means I don't think Morgan can actually cross the line and kill someone. But we'll see. I don't know.
2: Um, For me, I read it as he killed the person, but they might have that not have happened <laughs> the next time. You know, like anytime they... Uh like on the Game of Thrones finale, for example, when they've got all these people that look like they're dying, but we don't actually see any bodies. We don't we cut away before it happens, so theoretically they could be yeah. undone. <laughs> yeah,
1: but can I just remind you to the last time we saw the exact same thing happen with the pacifist Tyrese, they cut away and everyone assumed he was dead and I was on the podcast saying, same. No, the dude's not dead and of course the dude wasn't dead.
2: Yes. That so that's what I'm saying. Like what makes sense to me in the moment when you're watching it and from where, you know, what that presents is that the guy is dead, but they could have that not be the case, definitely. Um, and we'll have to see what happens. But I think even like the way I, I read it as resignation to answer your question, Randy, um, but resignation in the moment rather than a defeat of his overall ideal. Um, which means that I I think he can, even if he did kill this person, I think that he can maintain that position opposing Rick. And, and that, that, you know, just survive uh, somehow philosophy that is driving so many of our characters. And because uh, I think what we see, I'm not a huge fan of J- the JSS thing. I think it's kind of stupid, personally. Um, but having having that be what we we kind of follow through, we follow Enid, but that, that just survive, um, having Morgan be presented as an alternative to that. You have, it's not just survival. You have to also do this other thing. It's a new way of presenting this conversation that the show keeps engaging with of living versus surviving. Um, and I, I think I'm, I think I, I'm looking forward to this flavor of it. I think that there's maybe more they can do by presenting it in this manner. Um, did that JSS thing work for you guys? Um, I
1: mean, I wasn't a big fan of the JSS and how she just happened to write it everywhere she goes, including her forehead and on the turtle and so on and so forth. But I mean, the whole point is because Edith is clearly responsible for the raid. Like, she's clearly a wolf. So I guess by having her open up the show, we have these flashbacks. And we get to see a bit of who she was before she ends up at Alexandria. It all makes sense. Like, I think we needed to see those four or five scenes, especially the scene when she arrives at Alexandria, she turns away because she knows she's going in undercover. And so that's the interesting parallel between Enid and Carol, who's also undercover. And I think it's like the smartest thing that anyone's done in quite some time was Carol going undercover as the, the housewife who doesn't know how to shoot a gun, because I think that is why the wolves happened to attack at the very same time Rick and almost everyone else went out to go and handle this zombie situation. right So timing wise, it makes sense. So I think by, by giving us the backstory on her, by making it clear that she's responsible for letting the wolves in. All of these little things like the what ifs, the, the things that don't make sense, like, you know, like the first thing that happened in the episode was like, OK, so is or even last week I was thinking this, I'm like that's convenient. The one day when they all leave Alexandria, Alexandria gets raided. Right. But it all makes sense. So I think at the end of the day, it was the smart editing choices that made it all fit.
0: OK, there's like five things that I want to talk about. Um uh, first, I'll go back to start with the JSS thing. I think, I think that works kind of as a connective tissue, this idea of trying to these ideologies that are being burned down to these single ideas for her. It's this JSS for the wolves. It's the mark of the W on their heads. And then as we see when Carol's trying to wipe that off, she looks over and sees the red a that was written on mm-hmm. the side of her doorstep representing, you know, Alexandria society. And I think, I think that is probably the single best moment of the entire episode when Carol sits down with that pack of cigarettes, tries to wipe off the W then looks over and sees the A. I think that's really kind of the whole mix of these four episodes in terms of the ideas it's trying to present what it's about. Like, so these wolves come in and they're, they're brutal and savage, but how are they, are they living? Are they surviving? What's the difference between where do you delineate yourself? It's not just the walls that delineate you from the people that are outside. And that's an interesting idea. Getting um, to that
2: A thing? Did we know about th- I couldn't rem that was new to me. Did Remember miss-
1: when that? they were headed to Alexandria, they would mark like specific locations with an A?
2: Okay. I wanna were... say
0: somebody wrote it on there. I think we saw when they were all sitting on the porch one day. Doesn't like Carl or somebody write it on there? Um yeah, it
1: was actually stamped... physically written on there? It was stamped on Rick and Jesse's hands. Okay. It was like at the end of season five.
2: Okay, so yeah, because I, I was watching this, like, I know this is supposed to be significant, but I'm not remembering. So thank you for enlightening me on that, Randy. Uh, you had more points you wanted to get to?
0: Well, the whole thing with there's a lot of assumptions that have to go into this. i'm I'm kind of on board with Ricky and his Enid is a wolf theory, but I think I think we need to see the next two episodes to see really, because it could just be a matter of convenience or it could be this girl doing this fucked up thing that she's doing, but it's I think it's too early to tell on that. It could be just a case of I mean honestly I would be happy if that car if she just that character just disappeared we never saw again. Of course I don't think that's gonna be the
1: case. It's obvious. Like I'm like there's no way. Like if not then it's just stupid. Like the whole episode, the way it's structured, the way she leaves, her interaction with Carl, like none of it makes any sense. Like the fact that no one actually even attacks the very house in which she happens to stay at, the fact that she leaves the note behind, and that is when we realize that JSS means just survive somehow. I mean, no, it's obvious. There's no way. There's no... She has to be a wolf.
2: She has a line about um, that's how we got yeah, in and... or that's how we something. And I, when I was watching it, I didn't make that connection that, oh, she's a wolf. I, made, I thought I was like, oh, wait, are they saying that's how we were able to hook up, and the two of them have hooked up off-screen or something. Well, they, they were both... sneaking
0: in and out. She could have yeah. been referencing that as yeah. well. Yeah,
1: can I just remind everyone that she used to jump the fence and run out to the woods, and Carl realized she was doing this. And also, like... And she
2: lost Carl. Like, Carl, she managed to to throw his track of her, which shouldn't she shouldn't be able to do, theoretically. Exactly.
1: And also, just the beginning, like, I kind of felt like she... Uh, she looked like she was going to be part of the wolf pack. Like, isn't there a shot at, early on in the episode in which it's during the flashback in which, I mean, well, yeah, she starts painting JSS on her forehead or something, right? On her. Like,
0: <coughs> she writes that on a hand before she goes up to the gate at Alexandria. Yeah. Uh,
1: so anyhow, but the the, weir- the, the weird thing about the wolves, what I don't like is, so you see a bunch of these people run in and they start killing everyone. And what I don't like is that it just seems like it's a bunch of like mental cases like who just escaped from some mental
0: asylum yeah they're really going overboard with the whole yeah hacking away at dead bodies thing it's like Uh, it was a little over the top too over the top like you like i mean we got
1: to have some sort of understanding that these people are intelligent enough to actually run some sort of like society and or cult like i don't know it was just weird i mean i guess maybe if it's a cult and they're brainwashed but they're, they're going to have to really explain why these people look like they're Charles Manson and or Michael Myers uh, teaming up with, like, I don't know, Jason Voorhees and so on and so forth. And also, like, it was interesting that there was a good number of the wolves who are also women. You know, so it's not just a bunch of men going around killing people, but it's a community of men
0: and women. Whereas in a- And if it's one of them, they also have you know teenagers and stuff like children in this group totally yeah i know she's she she's to,
1: she has to be and then that's the whole parallel between her and carol they are both undercover and now she's got to be
2: i i also like this idea of of the people who at least go over the fence basically being like berserkers um and i like that we don't get an explanation i like that we don't get like a trite kind of thrown off it's our community now or something like that. I, I like that they don't bother explaining because we're in the position of Carol and then these other, these other townspeople, these other Alexandrians, um, who, they are an invading force that that we don't understand. Uh, so that can come later if they want to explore that, but it doesn't need to, because in the moment there isn't a lot. I mean, it's, yes, we have the safe community. They would, they want that. that it's, that's clear. We don't need anyone to explain that. And so it didn't, rather than having some like monologuing or some like why but i surrendered or whatever they just present them like you said earlier Ricky as horror movie villains it's just this unknowable difficult if not impossible to stop force
1: well i i'm 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 going to assume that these people know that they have guns and clearly the wolves don't have guns so they have to rush out and just start charging, killing everyone as fast as they can with the machetes, because they gotta make sure that these people don't get to the guns in time, otherwise they have no chance in actually winning. That's how I'm going to think of it, like that, because, like, it just, it was, like Randy said, it's way too over the top, so that's how I'm gonna justify it, but, you know, like, it just feels like I mean, I don't know, I've never lived in a zombie apocalypse, so I don't know how desperate people <laughs> will, be, will be, but it's just like, what are the chances? It's like, it's like watching uh, it's It's sort of like the first season of Hannibal It's like how many serial killers can live within a certain distance at the exact same time, but it's just weird that all of these crazy people happen to meet up and form this clique. Uh, how do you form a group with so many people if if you're just gonna go and kill everyone else that you that you find along the way? like I mean when did you decide to stop taking people in like Is this the future of Rick Grimes and his group like is is this it? Is this like Rick Grimes says he's not going to take anyone in anymore? So they're going to end up turning into wolves and they are just going to kill everyone who comes near them.
2: Well, I mean, I think they do a good job of comparing this to draw, letting the audience actually, I should say they don't, they let the audience draw that parallel, but I mean, two, three episodes ago, Rick is saying we're taking over and if they don't like it, then we'll take this community from them. Right. That's exactly what the wolves are doing. Yeah.
1: But, but, the, but there is a difference because at least Rick Grimes and his people are at least trying to get along. The wolves are just sort of, like,
0: invading. It's like a home invasion. Well, the wolves are trying to restore the natural order to things. You know, they said that, you know, this doesn't belong here. You know, we even hear Enid say something along those lines, like, this place is too big and can't be protected. You know, this, this world doesn't belong to them anymore. They've they've receded to their primal instincts. They travel on a pack like wolves do, you know. Yeah. It's, it's how they travel the world, and they see this these old vestiges of civilization trying to live, and they see it as a, a false life. So it's it, that then that goes back to what I was saying
1: about Carol. Has she, even though she lives in this community, she's the only person who actually truly accepts the world around them. She just also is trying to help these people out, but like I think like everyone else has this hope. Like, and it always comes back down to hope, right? They had this hope that. A community like Alexandria can actually survive without a hitch, without anyone invading them, and it's impossible. It's it's like Randy said, the place is too huge. Anyone that's going to notice the place walking by is going to clearly want to be part of it and or invade it clearly. And I think like with the wolves, they're doing the complete opposite. But the problem with the wolves though is, you know, even if they are trying to return to their quote unquote primal instincts and and they want to just go out live in the wild and just sort of you know accept the fact that the world's overrun by zombies. It still doesn't really justify the reasons for killing innocent people. Like, I mean, that's something completely different. That's like you're, that's not you just deciding to have a lifestyle and dealing with the problems of a zombie apocalypse because you didn't choose it.
0: This is you deciding to murder innocent people. I still want to know why they put a whole town full of zombies in the back of a truck. Remember that?
2: Oh, yeah. That was one of those, like, early hints of the wolves.
0: Yeah, like Noah's entire town was turned into, were killed by these people, and they had the W's on their head, and they were stashed on those trucks. And I want to know why they were putting them there. Like, remember, they were taking, like, their arms off and stuff? I'm pretty sure we're going to return
1: to that in the upcoming episodes. Because the thing about The Walking Dead is one thing that these show writers do very well is they always come back to those sort of, like, moments in which we have, like, big questions. Like, why did they make this choice? Why? Blah, blah, blah. And they cam- not
0: and they don't have a color camera, <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and we also had that um when Daryl leads the the group to go try to get food out of like this the storage facility, right, and they open up the door, and there's all these the walls that set them up. Is that the same episode? <sighs>
0: I don't remember. No, sure. And they, they
2: like started. They had like the flashing lights and the speakers and everything to draw the 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 walkers. Correct
1: me if I'm wrong, but the first time we get to see the wolves, or at least their uh, their symbol, like the W, or the upside W. I think it was an M back then. Was when Noah returned home, right?
0: I think that was the first time. It was either that or there was a random one that was tied to... Remember, I think Daryl yeah. stops and looks at one that's tied to a tree in the woods and has the W in its forehead. Right, and were, there was also the W, I think,
1: painted next to Gabriel's church, if I'm not
0: mistaken. Speaking of Gabriel, how are you going to give Gabriel... There's a shot of Gabriel holding two pistols in this episode. I got really excited that he was going to go <laughs> nuts with them. How did they not... Give us that. <laughs>
2: How episode. do you
0: know? Because
2: he's Gabriel. They're going to have to do more work before they can let that happen. But I love that the show is kind of on board with Gabriel. They're like, okay, we screwed up. We shouldn't have done what we did last season. uh So let's have everybody needs make to fun of Gabriel. Now,
0: it needs to yeah. happen.
2: I, th- I mean, that actor can do it. So it's a matter of what the writers do.
1: You have like a Jedi. You have like 100 zombies. Actually, like thousands of zombies. You have. A bunch of crazy people running around with machetes, and then you have a priest with
0: two. Just pistol. have him walking down the middle of the frame in and slow. Two guns out, slow motion, desperado style. His totally. moment
2: will come. I'm, I'm confident, but this would have been too quick. He can't just or like
0: just kill him off,
2: <laughs> or or that that could happen too. But don't forget, there's a giant horde of zombies headed their way. He has plenty of opportunity to look badass while shooting things.
0: Yeah, so do you guys think that Horde will arrive at Alexandria at the end, at the during the next episode, or do you think they're going to delay that another week before everything catches up, the two storylines meet?
2: It'll either happen during or at the end of last the last episode, or the next episode. That's my prediction. What do you think, Ricky?
0: I agree. I think it's going
1: to be about 45, 50 minutes of Rick Grimes and a crew dealing with the Horde of zombies, and in the last five minutes, they'll reach Alexandria and... Everyone will reunite on episode four.
0: I just really want to see the budgets of these episodes because <laughs> they're spending a lot of money on like CGI and stuff now, but then they also just killed off like every extra that was in Alexandria in this episode. So it's very interesting watching them try to balance the budget in a Wait, creative sense at the we were, same time.
1: We were talking about this last week and I read somewhere that the Walking Dead, like the actual dead, the zombies, the extras, it's all
0: volunteer work. Like, I don't think they actually pay these people. Oh, I meant the people that were in Alexandria, the people themselves, the humans that were living there. I'm sure those, you ought to imagine those are paid extras. Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: So you get paid to be on a TV show. You have no dialogue. You just get to chill and hang out with the cast, and then one day you're dead. That I, I would do it.
2: If you have the, the time and you don't have a job, that won't let you go do that for a while. Yeah. Totally. and are in the Atlanta area okay
1: come on let's be honest some of these people got like about 30 seconds of screen time I'm sure I could could set aside 30 seconds of my life (laughs) to be one of these nameless extras who gets butchered by the wolves in Alexandria I could do it
2: fair enough Um, do we have any other thoughts any particularly memorable shot selections or moments of scoring or because we we do try to when we remember uh, point out the some of the specifics
1: i i i I did like the score but i thought last week's score was just brilliant and this week i like again i love the direction we should mention that jennifer lynch directed this episode she is the daughter of famous filmmaker david lynch she's also made some some horror films her movies aren't so good at least not in my opinion but for some reason she's really good at directing tv episodes (laughs) Like she should really stick to a small screen so I loved her direction. I loved the framing. I loved the way, you know, the camera would follow. Uh, and I guess they're using like handheld cameras, right? And I guess steady cams, but just the way the camera would follow all of these people running through Alexandria and the, the chaos. Uh, so I thought the camera work was really good. I love the scene in which we do get to see the truck crash into the fence. And therefore, it explains the noise coming from Alexandria, like the horn, I like everything about this episode, but again, my favorite moment, and I think they should have ended with this specific scene is when Carl takes the food out of the oven. That is how the episode should have ended.
2: Fantastic moment there. And I I agree. That would have been really a great button. Um, I, you mentioned the the horn. I really liked, I really liked the answer of what the horn is because having it be basically an accident uh, rather than some, an intentional, foiling of their zombie horde thing like the wolves don't want the the giant horde of zombies to come either so i think that made a lot more sense and i like that yes it's going for a while but it goes for about as long as we hear it in the previous episode so it's not something that'll be should be continuing more than we already have heard um in the previous episode i know i just i thought that was a good resolution to that
1: Mm-hmm. so who's the wolf in sheep's clothing is it Carol is it Enid is it everybody
2: it's everybody God. except for like Rick what you see is what you get with Rick pretty much <laughs>
0: <laughs> sometimes with more facial hair
2: <laughs> sometimes with more sometimes with less
0: just a couple random things we didn't really talk about um Jesse going crazy with the hair scissors but I just had a note in there that I thought it was funny that her son got all bitchy about getting a haircut <laughs> um, that was good Two other things well. I had it all. I have it all written. Down. Oh, how the hell does that baby monitor work that Carol is using? How does that have like how is that transmitting like a video feed to another room? Like how does that work without the internet? Um No, you don't need the internet. <laughs> you don't to no, make that just, work. To like, well, there's it, no it, wires connected. It's like a wireless thing. There's just like a camera Bluetooth? in another room and. Does Bluetooth work for like video? I don't, I don't know. These are the questions I have when I watch <laughs> The Longing Dead. I see uh, people start using technology and I'm like, what the fuck's going on? No,
1: it is It is possible. I mean, I'm not entirely sure what they are using, but it, basically the camera's in her room and it, the signal's going to whatever device she's holding. I don't know.
0: I don't have a baby. I just wonder how this technology
1: but works. The, but the thing is, they do, they, okay, they don't have the internet, but they do have electricity. So.
2: Did, did anybody else enjoy that? even Carl calls her baby Judith
0: it's yeah, like in it's case so the audience precious. isn't sure who Judith yeah. <laughs>
2: is. It's like, I have to protect baby Judith when she gets a little older. I'll have to protect toddler Judith.
0: Um, I also, when you were talking about Jennifer Lynch, I thought of what I, the thing I really, really like about this episode is how it is the, how it jump cuts from um, Enid's parents being alive and talking about fuses to her, watching them through the window, and being dead, just like that sudden shift in tone and then how they use that again when that guy just runs out of the side of the frame and starts murdering people those two like juxtapositions i thought really like helped anchor this episode and make give it the kind of tension that it needed um i also think they're kind of going a little too far with the whole eugene's a dumbass thing like they kind of making him like borderline aspergers at this point where he just kind of like like somebody'll say something and he'll just repeat himself and just be very like I like his character and I think they're making him they're making him too bland of human being at the same time yeah the, the, the thing about his character is when he has a purpose, like a reason
1: like he did you know back in like season four and I guess at the start of season five. He's good, but now he doesn't really have a purpose. Like, like he can't go around. Like he
0: admits that. He's like, yeah, I'm a coward. Like that's his whole thing now. Is like, oh look, I'm a big pussy, and then he stands there, and that's it. Not just that.
1: Like, okay, he's smart, but what is he doing to help Alexandria out at the moment? Like, I mean, right now he doesn't really serve any purpose. Like, like, he's just
0: personality at this at this point. He's just color. Like, he's comic relief, is what he is. Yeah. Yeah. And but... uh, the last note I had was just that the mayor looks they were going way too far and trying to make her look like emotionally ragged. Like she looks like a zombie in this episode.
2: <laughs> she look, I, does I, not I like look that. like she's
0: alive. I
2: liked it. <laughs> I, think I, I don't. If think they kind of, they've
0: like I, I don't know. It just kind of makes her I, it feels like they've taken all the color out of her face and she's like a black and white skeleton that's transposed against these humans that are talking around her
1: now do you think that is the the choice of the creators and or just her like is that how she just normally looks
0: well no i feel like they she didn't look like that last season and i feel like they're doing work with her makeup like i mean obviously look how decrepit and like disheveled they can make zombies look that are actually human extras like i feel like they're just going that too far in that trying to paint her as this person that's just like totally worn out at the the edges of everything she can handle. Mm-hmm. How, how, how strange is it? I'm not saying she needs to wear makeup. All I'm saying is that she just needs to look like she's more oh. alive.
1: What you're saying is she needs to wear less makeup and she also needs to wear more makeup. Um, the last thing I'm going to say <laughs> is how, how strange is it that we have an episode uh, which features a home invasion, a mass, a massacre, and none of our favorite characters die.
0: I was really attached to Holly. That's
2: because your favorite characters are badasses. <laughs> mm,
1: yeah, I guess you're right.
2: <laughs> because they all came in with Rick. So they're all, I I, I I, do, we haven't talked about this, but I do like that this is Rick's groups. You know, this is like, we've been trying to tell you people. <laughs> this is why we are the way we are. And you haven't had to deal with this yet. But this is the, these are the kind of people that are out there uh yeah that works and and also the last thing i guess for me uh, since you mentioned that that intro uh with with enid the again the that the, that cut from you know within in in the intro it was super effective very effective the tonal shift there but um again the walking dead has a nearly wordless introduction and is really good Yep. They're very good at that. I love when they're, this episode is, for me is so much of the show recognizing its strengths and playing to them. So, right.
1: so all yeah. we need now is a black and white silent episode and I will be happy.
2: We, yeah. I mean, there's other things that I want too, but th- that would be good. I'm sure. I'm sure they can make that good.
0: I just want Gabriel to use those guns, preferably on Jesse's older son. That's all I'm asking <laughs> for.
2: Oh, Jesse Olsen. But when he, did he get that haircut? Cause how he no, he was to, just like, a
0: pain in the ass. and then Throw his hair bitches. out of his eyes. He's just bitchy teenager. Like, bitchy, walking, dead teenager.
2: Yeah, but I think that is better than having him, like, suddenly on board with Rick. I mean, I like that they address it, you know? I like that the mom goes, yeah, can you lift your arm? No, you can't. Because your father was a piece of shit.
0: Yeah, but it's weird that he still blames her. Like, okay, if your dad fucked you up physically that much you're not going to be that attached to him like especially in a world that they live in now like the fact that he's still like i if anything i'd want to see him go rage against rick like go be out there trying to find him and be pissed again like more of that rather than him just like going home and being pissed at his mom like that's so passive and wimpy okay.
2: fair enough and carol's like thing to the younger son yeah 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 your dad was an abusive asshole yes and... that's
0: what i want that more of that <laughs>
2: good times well thank you so much randy for coming on to help us talk about this episode where can our listeners find you and your work online
0: uh well you can find me i write a lot at tv over minus where i write about the walking dead and right now i'm writing about fargo at pop uh
2: and arrow
0: and arrow that's right Arrow's still in my life
2: yeah (laughs) it's in all of our lives so far it's better than last season that's like saying nothing but
0: (laughs) yeah exactly that's that's the whole thing it's like
2: fair enough well uh ricky what's going on over at pop optic right now
1: uh well like i said we are having fundraisers, so uh if you can help us out i know not everyone can help us out but if you can help us out if you're not financially struggling and or you know you have a few
0: dollars to to, to if you're pay, not a writer is what we're saying <laughs> <laughs> you know
1: it's really hard the internet okay if you think the walking dead world is really tough the internet is tough okay it's just survive somehow, and that's what we are trying to do. So, uh, head over to our website www.popoptic.com, and you could follow me on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Tumblr. Once again, it's all popoptic.
2: And we have uh, thirty days, thirty one days of horror. Oh yeah, right? Yeah, Is I'm, the I'm, theme right now.
1: Yeah, and it's the last time I'm ever going to do this, but I'm releasing my list of the two hundred greatest horror films ever made. I started like I think five years ago with with one hundred. Two years later, I did 150, and now I'm completing it with 200. And 31 Days of Horror, and of course, you can listen to my uh, movie podcast, Sword of Cinema. We talk about genre film, horror films, each and every single week. It's pretty kick-ass. It's me and JR right now.
2: And you can find me on Twitter at The Televerse. The Televerse is the TV podcast that I, I host over at Pop Optic, uh, with different guests coming on every week to talk about the best of TV. Best of TV that is not The Walking Dead. Um, and that is that goes out on Tuesdays. You can find that at Pop Optic. Uh, I'm also reviewing Doctor Who right now over there. You can find my my thought. I loved this week's episode so much. I haven't loved a Doctor Who episode in a very long time. So you can check out my review of that there. I'm also over at the AV Club where I'm reviewing Heroes Reborn right now, which is fun. <laughs> that's the thing that's happening. Yeah. Oh,
1: that that is a good.
2: Show. No, 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 no. That's a thing. It's a Don't thing. Don't try. Yeah. Um, but you reach out uh, the, you can also email us. Uh, you can email me the at gmail dot com reach out that way. um we do love hearing from you guys, and I love talking Walking Dead and Doctor. Who and all this other TV with y'all. So please do reach out uh next week, we'll be back to talk about episode three of season six, Thank you written by Angela Kang and directed by michael Slovis. that should be uh that'll be interesting hopefully'll we'll, it sounds this season so happy roll yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be fun. Anyways, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Pop Optic uh, Walking Dead podcast. Thank you for listening. The fox, he's got a foxy. Mr. Wolf, he's the guy who Chase chased through the woods, woods and ate grandma. But a dog is a dog, is a dog, is a dog. like the wolf who made a widower of grandpa. Yeah.
1: Must affect my cats, the sexual ass. I whack the ab when I set my path. The wreck don't crash, I'm built to long last. Grab my money clip, I hit the bong class. Earn my respect, my checks, they better cash. Hang on the tree with my nigga Fred Glass. Knuckles is brass, start snuffing you flags. Jumping out of cab. grabbing money bags. Next shot, right through your hovercraft. You do the math, my ass and tongue slash. When, when you learn, it's the turn the shaft. The genuine thriller, the mill of draft. My force might blur, the force a The apple martini, of course a stir. I'll do the honor. The Shouting bomber, sharp skin armor, I bring the
2: drama. My fox, he's got a foxy. Mr. Wolf, eats the guy who J. just fled through the woods and ate grandma. But a dog is a dog is a dog is a dog. Unlike the wolf who made a widow of grandpa. Defecating on the map, Wu-Tang taking it back, no picking in the rat. Nah. I realize that these niggas hating on the fact that the kid is blazing
1: his track and hating on them back. Yeah. My dough stacked up with those who the Mac ducking poke poke, blowin' smoke goes in the lack